Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. With the Iowa caucus nearly underway, the nation will be watching closely to see how candidates fare in their first real test. Drew Lippman moderates a discussion with Nadim Al-Shami, David Reed, and Brian Wild to provide fresh analysis of the current state of the presidential race and offer insight into likely outcomes in Iowa and how these results may impact the race going forward. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast. We're here today to talk about the impending Iowa caucuses and the Democratic presidential nomination. I'm joined by my colleagues, Brian Wild, David Reed, and Nadim Elshami. Fellas, let's jump right in. Nadim, what are the polls telling us about who might win the Iowa caucuses? What the polls are telling us is we don't know who's going to win the Iowa caucuses. And um, Iowa is going to keep us guessing until the last minute. Um, you have the top four, um, Vice President Biden, Senator uh, Warren, Senator Sanders, and Mayor Pete, all are leading contenders to win Iowa. And the Iowa voters are going to wait till the last minute to make a decision. There was a poll, however, a, a few days ago where it had – Vice President Biden ahead uh, by a few points, but that could all change. Uh, we have a couple of weeks to go. Brian, what's the significance of, of Iowa caucuses from your point of view uh, for the Democrats? Well, it's always interesting to watch uh, how Iowa goes. And in, in one, it's the it's the first real test in the for these candidates on whether they can message, whether they can actually do retail politics. And get down and shake hands and and talk to to normal people, gets out of, outside of the DC bubble. So in that way, it's it's a great filter. Looking at it historically, you know, for Democrats in particular, Iowa's been a a, a great predictor of who their nominee is going to be. Um, the majority of the time, uh, the whoever wins the Democratic caucuses in Iowa has gone on to be their party's nominee, and and since two thousand. Um, that's proven to be 100 percent accurate. So um, despite all the complaining that, that Democrats have that it's not reflective of the electorate, um, Iowa's done a really good job. Well, is it is it not reflective according to Democrats because it's an almost entirely white state? Trump won Iowa. So is it a state that's been shifting over time from blue or purple to red? Keeping in mind everything you said about uh, about the predictive significance of it, which is very important. Uh, well, for starters, Trump didn't – he didn't win the Iowa caucus, mine ourselves. No, in, I mean the presidential, in the presidential but, race. Yeah, I, I think you know, the farm belt uh, of which Iowa is, is, is one of the jewels of that um, you know, continues to be reddish to purple, mm-hmm. um, probably unfamiliar ground for a lot of the, the urban candidates that the Democrats currently are. Um, so I, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a state that's, that uh, trades big because of farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a lot of small business owners. Um, it's, it's, you know, continues to probably trend more red and purple, I think. Mm-hmm. They, let me let me just uh, let me just throw something in there back at my colleague here from uh, from from the other side. Uh, while true that it's been a bit since a Democratic um, nominee won Iowa in the general election, but 
Uh, last cycle in the congressional races, there were two seats that were picked up by Democrats uh, in that state, um, and, and the seats have always been in play. So you did see that trend move a bit towards purple. The question remains is how, which way will Iowa go right. in the upcoming election? Right. Right. And that still remains to be seen. And, and speaking of non-urban Democratic nomination candidates, David, can you see a fifth candidate maybe um, displacing one of the top four who Nadine mentioned. I'm thinking of a particular candidate sure. who comes from a neighboring state. Um, well, you know, I, I, you know, I think that, you know, if she doesn't place well, we're talking about Senator Klobuchar. Um, if she doesn't place well in these first two contests, I think that'll be, you know, that'll be problematic to show any kind of viability going forward. Um, I know that she's got a lane, or at least she's tried to carve out a lane of being the moderate candidate, the consensus candidate that can bring the party together. Uh, however, um, you know she has not been able to, you know, break into that top mm-hmm. um, that top echelon. But what what about her appeal? What is it about her style that that might make her appealing to the Iowa audience? Because there is talk about the fact that she might have a last minute surge, Senator Klobuchar. Sure, and I think it's to the point that um, that my colleague Brian was mentioning that you know you've got these folks in Iowa. Um, that do think very much, you know, pocketbook issues. They don't care for the bombast. They don't care for the flash. But they'd rather look at, you know, look towards somebody who can get things done and can speak, you know, rationally to how to do that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what she's trying to tout. Um, she's successfully done that statewide um, in her state, and I think she's trying to replicate that in Iowa. Um, you know, again, as her, you know, as 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 her strategy going forward. Mm-hmm. And of course, Minnesota, neighboring state. So she's spent the most time in Iowa over the years sure. of any of the Democratic presidential candidates. She's been a regular visitor since well before she was a presidential candidate. And there are shared media markets, that sort of thing. Um, Nadine, let's go, let's go back to you. Are there distinct lanes in the Democratic primary going into the Iowa caucuses? And if so, what's the significance of those lanes and which is more crowded than the other if you see it, if you see it that way? Uh, uh, sure. Uh, yeah, th- there are distinct lanes and, and, and for, the, for the top uh, four, perhaps five candidates in Iowa on the Democratic side, you have the lane where Senator Warren and Senator Sanders uh, play in, which is the progressive lane. You have the lane where uh, – Vice President Biden, Mayor Pete, and uh, Senator Klobuchar are in, which is the more uh, you know uh, center left lane, more moderate lane, more pragmatic lane. In hindsight, uh, and in, in is is those lanes will be blurred, and the candidate would move towards the middle uh, in a general election. However, it's unclear that if Senator Sanders or Senator Warren would actually get the nomination that they would move uh, to that uh, to that middle lane. So uh, it remains to be seen, but I think Iowa is a, is a, a microcosm of, of the nation when it comes to where voters are, and, and we'll see how, uh, how it plays out. Do we sometimes overstate the ideological predispositions of the voters? We hear in Iowa, it's very important to shake hands with every single person in the state and visit every county. That's a non-ideological factor, but does that play in? It, it does. It does. And and look, you know, the, 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 one of the most interesting things is that uh, Iowa voters expect uh, candidates to go and, and shake their hands. They expect that um, they attend the uh, 
the breakfasts, the lunches, and the dinners, and they speak to every single uh, voter in the state, and that the ads are run uh, nonstop. But also at the same time, uh, as you get closer to the vote, Iowa voters um, complain that there's been way too much. Um, going on from these candidates, and it's unclear really what's happening. <laughs> damned if you do, damned if you don't. That's exactly yeah. that's exactly right. So uh, again, it's 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 going to be uh, determinative of of the, the I believe who who wins the Democratic um, primary in uh, caucuses in Iowa is going to be determinative of where the Democratic Party is going to be uh, is going to be heading. Very good. Brian, from your perspective slightly outside the party without an investment in any one of the individual candidates other than Bernie Sanders, um, Michael Bloomberg is skipping the Iowa caucuses. Uh, What does that suggest about his chances of getting the nomination and maybe his play isn't really to get the nomination? But but what are the prospects of a candidate who skips the Iowa – the all-important Iowa caucuses? Uh, I actually think that what – Michael Bloomberg's doing right now is pretty fascinating to watch. And and in the media market that we have today, maybe he can do something that other candidates have never done before, which is which is skip these early primaries completely and then and then come in and sweep it. And and the the reason I say that is is the Democrats are doing a lot of behaviors that were similar to what the Republicans did four years ago, which is they are letting the, the perfect be the enemy of the good. And as the Democrats beat each other up over exactly how far left their ideology is going to to move, they've lost focus on the goal, which is to be president of the United States and to defeat Donald Trump. Michael Bloomberg has a pretty clear lane, you know, speaking to what Nadine was talking about, and, and his lane is fully focused on defeating Donald Trump. And when you see his TV ads, that's all he talks about. He doesn't talk about Bernie Sanders. He doesn't talk about Joe Biden. He doesn't put any of his other candidates down. He is focused 100 percent on defeating Donald Trump. And, and I think it's a pretty unique and unique place for him to be. He has a lot of money. He has a lot of flexibility to do it. And so he's kind of created a lane and he's going to let these guys all fight over their ideology and he's going to fight over the base and fight over all that. And, and he can sweep in and refocus the party on what I think the Democrats want to actually focus on, which is that they don't like this president. Mm-hmm. Nadim, there's a – the Democrats have a threshold uh, for delegates, to receive delegates, you have to get at least 15 percent of the vote in caucuses. It can be a little bit more complicated that by district, but let's, let's treat it as 15 percent in the state. So for Bloomberg, unlikely that he would have gotten to 15 percent in Iowa and New Hampshire in any case entering so late. So there aren't many delegates to be gotten. He's probably not losing anything except buzz, momentum. Well, I, I, there was a very fascinating um, piece this morning that talks about Bloomberg's approach to this election, which is he is trying to follow a similar model to President Trump's, which is put um, more ads on uh, line, uh, spend a lot of money on TV, and introduce the brand of Mike Bloomberg, which is I am – uh, I can get it done. I can fix it, uh, whatever the it may be. And this is what President Trump did. In terms of Iowa, he is a billionaire that could have spent a lot of money and a lot of time in Iowa to try to get to that 15 percent. 
Um, I don't believe it hurts him. Um, I believe it actually uh, gives Democrats a a more energized vision for another candidate who could who decided to shake up the system, and that's why President Trump won is because he decided to shake up the system, have a new approach, and um, and I feel that this is something that Michael Bloomberg has been successful in doing so far. So we've got a top four, and we talked about whether Klobuchar could break in, and we're talking about whether Bloomberg can break in. David, do you have a sense of who would get knocked out, potentially, of the top four? I see that Buttigieg in, in the national polls in Iowa is has slipped a bit. He's running very strong in New Hampshire. The latest poll, very credible poll, WBUR, has That's him running enough. second. Right. But does that dissipate based on the Iowa, for example, if he finishes fourth or even fifth in Iowa, does he drop out of second place status in New Hampshire? Do his national numbers go down? Because the polls are just snapshots of what people think right now. Right, they can't tell us how people's thinking will be affected by the next thing that happens. But that's what we're trying to anticipate by trying to game out Iowa results. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I think that he does have, you know, strong national numbers. And I think that even if he does have, you know, a poorer showing than we're currently seeing in the polls in New Hampshire, he will stay through, um, at least through Super Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think that, you know, currently, obviously, uh, his support uh, within the African-American community is not is not robust. um, Mm -hmm. And he is aware of that. Um, and I, I feel as though a number of candidates have struggled with that, Joe Biden being the clear front runner with uh, African-American support, um, which will, of course, be very helpful to him going into South Carolina. But, you know, also look at the fundraising numbers. Um, you know, Mayor Pete has continually exceeded expectations on the fundraising front. So mm-hmm. he does have the resources there. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, you know, I think that, you know, he's got he's to notch up some wins or some near wins. Um, but I think the resources are there and available for him to stay in the race for, for a bit longer. Uh, Nadine? Yeah, well, I think that's, the, that, that's exactly right. But let me just add one more aspect to this primary season. You could have a uh, situation where there is a broker convention where no Democratic candidate is able to get that 50 percent threshold. Lord help us. Well, Lord help, can I just stop you there for a second? Just to go back to the point we were discussing earlier, if we have multiple Democrats getting at least 15 percent in primary after primary, caucus after caucus, which the polls indicate is quite possible and which has never happened before, that's how we wind up with the scenario you're describing where no one has a majority, a first ballot majority, pledge delegates going into the convention. Exactly. So the more delegates that you have going into the convention, the more opportunities will be presented to you to be the deal maker, perhaps, and decide who the nominee mm-hmm. is going to be. So I think that the longer these candidates stay and the longer that they are able to garner 15 percent or more and, and get delegates, and, and Brian was looking here. Well, I, it, again, this just reminds me of, of the Republican primary four years ago where, um, you know, I would put Warren and Sanders – in the same position that that Senator Cruz and Senator Rubio were in, which is you had two very good candidates that were competing over the same pile of delegates. The party was waiting for them to negotiate the peace um, between the two of them. Um, 
neither one of them got out. And that cleared the lane for Trump. And the, the party was surprised. Like suddenly, wow, this, this person came in and, and, and won the primary. And I, I see a similar thing where you have Warren and Sanders really competing over the same pile of delegates. Neither one of them are going to get out. Doesn't seem like they actually even like each other. Not so the chance that they would negotiate a peace between the two of them seems very unlikely. And that seems to clear a lane for probably Biden, maybe a Bloomberg or a Buttigieg. I mean, somebody's going to have some either the either the the far left or the the even further left is going to have to negotiate the peace among these candidates. You said neither Warren nor Sanders is going to get out, and and I want to pause to talk about that. David, you know a heck of a lot about Democratic fundraising, Republican fundraising, also sure. of course. <laughs> but but what's different now from past primary cycles is that in the past. Most of the candidates counted on big donors, usually very committed early big donors, to be viable and to run in state after state. On the front end, yes. On the front end, yes. Warren and Sanders don't. Correct. So how is that different? To Brian's point, how does that enable them to stay in longer? Well, I mean, the, their, their war chests, especially Bernie Sanders, were built upon grassroots fundraising based on lists that he had built over the course of the last primary season. And he started with a great advantage on that front. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren similarly has a very robust grassroots um, you know, level of support on the finance side. Most of the people that give to these you – know, to uh, Senator Warren and Senator Sanders are nowhere near the max out. So these are folks that are bought in that can continue to contribute and that can continue to be hit up. So in other words, the lists you're referring to are, are email lists. Correct. And if you, if you max that to a candidate – then the candidate can't go back to you for more money. A lot of Not Biden, for example, campaign, has a lot of big donor, uh, big donors. If you only give five dollars or ten dollars or fifteen dollars, then the campaign can turn that almost into a subscription where they keep going back to you for the next five. If you've got millions of donors, that's a lot of money, and there's no big donor or council of big donors that pulls you into a smoke-filled room and says, look, you got to get out for the sake of the party, right? That's not going to happen here. Right. And that's one of the reasons why uh, Senator Sanders stayed in so long was because he had this very, very dedicated you know, dedicated, um, you know, group of supporters that continued to help fund that campaign all the way through to the very end. And presumably he can keep getting 15 percent well through the process so they won't give up because they'll see him accumulating delegates. And even if he doesn't, I, I would imagine that he'll stay in unless <laughs> there's another, you know, well. another situation with his health or something of that sort. And let me ask you if we can just uh, touch on this quickly. We've talked about Iowa and New Hampshire a bit. In February, there are four contests, one a week, Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, South Carolina. Then in early March, March 3rd, just three or four days after South Carolina, we have Super Tuesday. For people not familiar with it, David, what's what's the significance of Super Tuesday and is it really Super Duper Tuesday at this point? At this point, yes, because Super Tuesday had originally been planned around ensuring that the South had a voice in mm-hmm. the primary process. Now that's expanded to you know states like California. So geographically, California quite dis- used to be in June, that's so right. it used to be pretty much irrelevant. But now you have this the hugest trove of delegates up for grabs relatively early. 
Right. Um, so, you know, I think that it does make it more consequential, which is also one of the reasons why Bloomberg has focused so heavily on that date and flooding the media markets in each of those states and each of those areas to ensure that, you know, he has both the name ID as well as hopefully the, you know, the lane carved out that he'll be able to make, a, make an impact and get some, get some solid delegates. Right. Up. Because when you have that many contests, you've got the southern contests still. But if you have Texas, California, Colorado, Minnesota, Massachusetts, and Vermont on the same day as all the southern contests, even if you're raising a heck of a lot of money, you still can't afford to advertise in all those markets. Only Bloomberg, maybe right. Steyer, but, but possibly only Bloomberg can actually afford to be in all those markets. You can't travel to all right. of them. And that's, I mean, and again, that's the reason he he has made that play is because he knew that he had the resources available to do that, knowing that he obviously mm-hmm. cannot be on the ground in each of mm-hmm. these states. And, you know, the other candidates, a number of them really do benefit from the retail politicking that is, you know, going to help them to increase their levels of support in these states. You know, but a blanket media strategy where you just buy everything mm-hmm. to be seen, but I think will likely have an impact and change, you know, the way that folks look at the primary process going forward. For the benefit of our listeners, I know this is what they're really listening for. Let's tell them what the result will be of the Iowa caucuses. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Nadim, you're up first. I think our time is up. Bob. <laughs> um, I, think, um, I think it would be uh, Biden, Warren, Sanders, Mayor Pete. Brian Wild. I think the moderates are going to win this one. So I'm going to go Biden, Buttigieg, Sanders, Warren. Go ahead, David. I'll agree with Brian Wild. I think that's that's the likely you know the likely end result. But again, to, to be seen here in just a you know a few few days here. So so if Brian Wild is right, that means Mayor Peak stays in, stays viable for New Hampshire, where he's doing pretty well in the polls. If if Mayor Pete drops out of that top four, even finishes fourth, he may have trouble. He's also, he's dependent on, I think, a mix of big donors and grassroots right. types. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so different from the other candidates. Can I just largely. point out that yes, n- none of us chose Klobuchar in that, in that top four. And I think the, that immediately pivots to, so if, assuming she doesn't get in the top four, maybe doesn't get in the, I don't know what her, her math is. If she doesn't make the top two, let's assume she drops I think that immediately helps Buttigieg, and that's that would also continue why he's why he's he stays in. Does it help Buttigieg and not Biden? Nadim, I think it could be a split. Um, maybe Buttigieg at the uh, at the onset, but when if he's not viable, then those voters would move would move to Biden. We should say that Amy Klobuchar shared the New York Times presidential endorsement in the Democratic primary with Elizabeth Warren, uh, a split endorsement, I think, for the first time ever for the paper, and that's been getting a lot of publicity. Well, thank you all. This has been another Brownstein podcast, and now you can watch basketball or football on the day of the Iowa caucuses because you already know how they're going to come out. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.